Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Welcome to Censored. I'm Aoife Vrithnach, historian and obsessive reader. Happy New Year, everyone. Here's to another year of frolicking through the filth. If you'd like to support the show, you can find links to Patreon and my merch store in the show notes. Patreon people get the show early with extra research notes and full-length interviews. Of course, you can always leave me a review in Apple Podcasts or recommend it to a friend. We're opening 2022 with a book that was not banned, but is essential reading if you want to understand popular smut. I've already covered some important popular romance, like Jackie Collins' The Stud from the 70s and Kathleen Windsor's Forever Amber from the 40s. I seem to be working my way backwards in the romance canon, which is very anti-chronological of me. This episode, I'm tackling The Sheik by E.M. Hull, which was published in 1919. We would say The Sheik today, but it was pronounced Sheik at the time. When I read it, I was astonished it wasn't blacklisted, because it's properly smutty. It was published before the Censorship of Publications Act even existed, But as we know, that means nothing. Mary Stopes' non-fiction work, Married Love, dated from 1918, but was one of the first books banned by the Irish state. Like The Sheik, Married Love was extremely popular. If you took these two works together, you could argue they represent a shift in how women's sexual desire was publicly discussed. Obviously, a sex education work is going to be received differently to a novel, But it is still strange that Stopes was banned, but Hull was not. The Sheik is a romance thriller, told mostly from the point of view of Diana Mayo, a rich aristocrat without an idea in her head beyond sport and travel. In the opening chapter, we are told that she was raised almost as a boy by her indolent older brother and that she is a cold fish who cannot abide men flirting with her. She is headstrong and bloody-minded, setting off alone across the desert, the only woman in a party of local men. Inevitably, this goes terribly wrong. By chapter two, she has been abducted by the sheik of the title, Ahmed Ben Hassan. I was pretty shocked when the novel then turned into an extended racist rape fantasy. Hull's narrative wallows in the trauma Diana suffers, which is doubly horrible because the man who overpowers her is an Arab. The sex might be implicit, but it's unmistakable. Honestly, how was this not banned? 
It wouldn't be ridiculous to discuss the Sheik alongside The Lustful Turk, a 19th century porno I've read in a previous episode. I just had to do an episode on this novel. I knew you'd all appreciate it. I asked Dr. Ellen Turner of Lund University to join me for this one. Ellen has written extensively about the Sheik, particularly how the novel continues to ripple through culture today. Now, I did record this when I had a nasty cold, so I must apologise for my voice. It goes a bit weird sometimes. Hi, Ellen. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Lovely to be here. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me to discuss this crazy desert fantasy. It'll be very uh, not a January type of book, which should lift the spirits. I know it's rather nice talking from a a snowy Sweden. It's quite nice to be transported to the desert sands for a little while. We can pretend the weather is warm at least. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) So first off, I usually choose a a drink to go with the book. And for me, I one of the standout moments was when Diana first dines with the Sheik. Uh, This is after he's kidnapped her, which is, you know, (laughs) quite something. And he refuses the alcohol, saying that abstinence from booze is his only virtue. Wink, wink. Suddenly, Diana has one of these many moments. I mean, this was repeated throughout the text, where his foreignness and specifically, I suppose, in this case, his Muslim and Arabic origins, really, they come to the fore and she almost physically is physically revolted. And I felt that that was a device that she used where she would forcibly remember his charms were only skin deep and that he was, in fact, you know, a dirty foreigner. Uh, do you think any other drink choices capture something of the novel? Well, I think wine certainly fits very well. Um, the scene you describe is really interesting. Diana doesn't taste much and her mind is empty but it's kind of notable that like one of the things that does penetrate her empty mind is the fact that this wine is poured for her alone um as you say his abstinence a marker of his supposed arabness i mean it's interesting that all these references to his arabness become even more poignant when we learn at the end of the novel that he's not actually an arab uh, by blood at all um son of an english lord and a spanish lady Um, Anyway, sorry, back to the question. Um, What drink would I choose to go with the book? Well, uh, tea and coffee feature quite prominently in the novel. Um, So setting out on her fateful expedition, um, Diana takes enough tea to last her the duration of her planned month-long trip. Um, And when she's captured, this tea is served to her by the sheik's faithful servant. When her tea runs out, this marks um, a month of captivity. Uh, And after this time, she's served coffee. And the Arabic coffee that she drinks for the rest of the novel is um, hailed as the nectar of the gods. So I think the shift from tea to coffee neatly encapsulates her leaving behind um, these very English habits. On the other hand, I kind of want to have a cocktail here um, because we're talking about the chic. Um, And I think a cocktail might capture some of the the chic fever of the 1920s. So I'm thinking something with Bombay Sapphire, um, maybe the Savoy's Hanky Panky, um, Sweet Vermouth Gin and a dash of Fernet Branca. Yeah, I think a bit of hanky-panky seems apt. Um, But I also read that there was a Rudolph Valentino-inspired cocktail, Blood and Sands. 
um, which I think was inspired by um, a later uh, movie uh, from uh, 19, oh, 1920s sometime anyway. Um, and I think that's uh, Scotch, a sweet vermouth, cherry liqueur and orange juice. Um, sounds pretty potent. Does, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a bit like Rudolph Valentino on the screen. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, although there aren't any cocktails drunk in the novel, there is a very flapper 20s vibe throughout. So yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, it seems to me what the the reader uh, would would have drunk. (laughs) Yes, I would have aspired to drink. (laughs) She was probably at home on a Sunday afternoon, but you know, thinking about Friday night. (laughs) And I think we should really start by explaining how popular this novel is. Um, It inspired a wildly popular film of the same name that made Rudolph Valentino, who we already discussed, one of the biggest stars of the era. And this book was phenomenally successful, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, It's pretty impossible to establish exact sales figures um, from uh, the text. Um, And it's difficult to estimate a readership. Uh, But one of the early scholars to talk about The Sheik, uh, Billy Melman, um, notes that between 1919 and 1923, a phenomenal 108 editions of the novel appeared in Britain alone. Uh, and the audience figures for the 1921 film adaptation probably amounted to millions. And it was really this George Melford 1921 adaptation with Rudolf Valentino that cemented the reputation of the novel. Um, and from anecdotal evidence, uh, from the mere quantity of mentions in magazines, newspapers, other novels, etc., I think we can quite safely conclude that this was wildly popular. But what for me, I think, is like the biggest measure of its popularity is the influence that it had on culture on a number of different levels. Um, it had a massive impact on fashion, music, holiday destinations, interior design. Um, and apparently in the 1930s, uh, there were even uh, chic brand uh, rubber condoms on the market. <laughs> I mean, okay. <laughs> uh, it's interesting that the Oxford English Dictionary credits Hull's novel um, and the subsequent film adaptation with the secondary definition of the word chic as, and I quote, a type of strong romantic lover, a lady killer. <laughs> wow, so the word chic comes to mean the hero in the book. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's made its way into the Oxford English Dictionary. Um, and the chic's counterpart was, was the Sheba. <laughs> oh. Uh, so, uh, yeah, uh, from another uh, 1920s film. And incidentally, on the theme of uh, sheiks and cocktails, I came across a satirical wanted ad in a 1920s issue of the Sunday Pictorial asking for a, and a quote here, handsome, well-educated man, Arab not objected to, for American bar, a cocktail sheikah. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean... It's a really strong cultural touchstone then as a result of the book and the film combined. It just creates this cultural phenomenon. Yeah, I think it cannot be underestimated, really. There's a huge number of imitations and parodies of the novel and the film. We've got things like um, Felix the Cat Shatters the Sheik, um, a short animation film from 1926, 
Um, she's a sheik where the tables are turned and Ooh. the kidnapper is a woman. Um, a pretty dreadful parody um, by Charles Somerville, The Shriek, um, a satirical burlesque. I mean, it's extraordinary. I'm trying to think of a contemporary equivalent. I mean, maybe the Marvel universe on cinema is so huge now that it's, you know, superhero culture has really disseminated everywhere. Maybe that's a kind of an equivalent where you have so many tie-ins. It is, it is, but I guess that's a universe and this just comes from like one novel and the film adaptation. And it's really interesting that like the afterlife of the Sheik has just kept on going up to the present day. Um, so although the boom for Sheiks abated towards the end of the 1920s, uh, romance publishers today, Harlequin, Mills and Boone, for instance, still do a roaring trade in these fantasies i confess i haven't read them all <laughs> um, in fact not that many of them um but they've got some fantastic titles um so a few from recent years we've got the shake secret baby the playboy shake vampire shake <laughs> how to seduce the shake shakes ransom shakes baby of revenge the shakes christmas conquest Secret Agent Shake. Um, oh, no, that's good. <laughs> but my personal favourite, I think, is Pride and Prejudice and the Sheik, a sort of literary mashup. Um, and it's a <laughs> slightly weird example there. But the, the more I look, the more I find. Um, they're, they're everywhere. Wow. So this is a really, although it's not a very famous literary text, it has profound cultural implications even today. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's just remarkable because they're the sort of books that we don't think of as important, really, isn't it? You know, they d they don't get the credit. They don't get a, a review article in the big daily newspapers on their 100th anniversary or anything. No, but they've had such a massive cultural influence. Yeah. And at the time, it was described by some contemporaries as one of the era's sex novels. And initially, I thought that was a crazy thing to say about a book that wasn't banned in Ireland, because as you know, they ban everything. But then I read it and I would absolutely agree because I was genuinely shocked by the role that sex played in the narrative. I'd describe it not just as a sex novel, but as you said, an extended racist rape fantasy, really. Now, it isn't explicit, but I do think it offers a masterclass in suggestion. And just to give people an idea who haven't read it, what I mean, uh, here's a piece from chapter three. Obedient now, she forced herself to lift her eyes to his and the shamed blood surged slowly in her cheeks. His dark, passionate eyes burnt into her like a hot flame. His encircling arms were like bands of fire, scorching her. His touch was torture. Helpless, like a trapped wild thing, she lay against him, panting, trembling, her wide eyes fixed on him, held against her will. Fascinated, she could not turn them away, and the image of the brown, handsome face with its flashing eyes, straight, cruel mouth and strong chin seemed searing into her brain. Now, I know she says his touch is torture, but it seems quite nice. It's quite exquisitely desirable, this torture. And I felt this was really all about raw sexual attraction and the potency of lust. I mean, do you think I'm reading too much into this? Or do you agree that the novel is pretty much saturated with sex? Yeah, uh, no, I don't think you're reading too much into this at all. It's um, drenched in it. Um, and the passage that you point out, I think, uh, really 
illustrates this. I don't think I can beat your pick there for sheer suggestibility. Um, I was thinking of the frequent references to Ahmed Ben Hassan's um, the, the Sheik's strong, skilled fingers. Um, oh, yeah. Hull writes uh, about uh, the power of these long, lean fingers that could be gentle when when he chose. Uh, I thought that that was pretty suggestible as well. Um, but I mean, other interesting things that come to mind when I think about the sex in the novel is really centered around this this rape fantasy and the victim blaming that goes on here as well mm. that Diana is just too beautiful somehow the rape is her fault um and this is something that persists also into 21st century popular romance novels i remember she felt like she didn't stop it enough that she didn't protest enough and there's all this awful self-flagellation afterwards and you're like but you've just been kidnapped how could you possibly be blaming yourself this is not someone you knew or met or in I mean you've been abducted but yeah there were lots of extended passages where she tortures herself for what happens to her yeah and and this rape fantasy staple of the plot is really quite utterly perplexing I find that Diana, she's completely broken by the sheik. Um, and Hull writes, and I quote here, she could only wait and suffer in the complete moral collapse that overwhelmed her. Her body was aching with the grip of his powerful arms. Her mouth was bruised with his savage kisses. And again, um, I quote from the novel, she had fought until the unequal struggle had left her exhausted and helpless in his arms until her whole body was one agonised ache from the brutal hands that forced her to compliance, until her courageous spirit was crushed by the realisation of her own powerlessness and by the strange fear that the man himself had awakened in her, which had driven her at last moaning to her knees. And I thought that was another very suggestible, wow. <laughs> um, uh, this, this bringing her moaning to her knees. And it's interesting that Diana reminds the sheik of one of his thoroughbred horses. She's wild, defiant. She must be tamed. Um, and midway through the novel, really quite abruptly, the sheik's goal is realised. She's fallen in love with her kidnapper and rapist. Uh, it seems to just happen on a hairpin quite suddenly. Mm. Quite suddenly, she knew that she loved him um, and she'd loved him even when she hated him. That's what she said. Of course. I mean, that's the only way it's convincing. Yeah. <laughs> Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I found a lot of that where she fails to resist. I found that really distressing and the way that she ends up being spiritually broken and collapses. I just thought that was really ick reading it now. But clearly that wasn't the paramount reaction of the time. It just couldn't have been. No, I don't think so. Um, I, I have the, the same reaction to it. And it makes me wonder how this could have sort of slipped past um, and, yeah, become so popular. All of this sexual content. Now, I should say that, you know, it sort of stops. It has this habit of bruised and then stops. And then the next page is a new chapter and it's mm. the morning after. So I don't want people to get the notion that there's actual sex scenes in it. It's more like preludes and anticipations and then a recalling. Um, mm. Did the sexual content of the novel attract condemnation at the time? Was this rape storyline at all controversial? Yes. Contemporary reviewers did condemn the novel for its sexual content, but these reviews tended to not be very explicit, much like the, the novel itself. Um, so one contemporary review states, uh, and I quote here, this is by no means food for babes and is also kind, the kind of book one would not allow one's mother to read. Um, oh, famously, wow. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> famously, the literary review called the novel poisonously salacious. Ooh. So weirdly, the fact that at the centre of the storyline is rape was like largely disregarded, I think, in the reviews. And weirder still, it was, and I think still is, frequently overlooked in late 20th and early 21st century commentary on the novel as well. Um, one kind of notable instance is in the introduction to the 1996 Virago reprint of the novel where Kate Saunders claimed that it was, um, and I quote her here, pornography so soft you could give it to your grandmother. And I find that so surprising yeah. um, that Virago should have categorised the chic as a harmless erotic novel as this kind of twee or kitsch um, text. Mm. So it, I find that quite surprising. I think in many ways there's a lot of horror elements. You know, there's, it, there's moments where you're truly appalled and... Yeah. I mean, surely that must have been experienced by readers at the time. You know, there were plenty of horror tropes that they were familiar with. So it is odd that it has kind of, you know, people have just let it slide. Yeah, and it's really interesting, I think, that the contemporary responses to the novel tended not to focus on the sex, but more saw it as indicative of a general moral and aesthetic uh, degeneration. Um, it, it sort of undermined uh, various conservative ways of, of thinking. Um, and I'm my sense is that the novel's aesthetic badness overshadowed uh, any condemnation of the rape storyline. Uh. Um, 
Yeah, like D.H. Lawrence, for instance, uh, talks about it just being a sort of a cheap novel. Uh, it talks about the, the throb of the chic. Um, and Q.D. Levis also sort of calls this trashy, mm. um, a typist daydream. Um. <laughs> so, so the trash is the real problem with it. Like the content is almost irrelevant. It's the fact that it's just cheap disposable romantic crap is the problem yeah absolutely um storm jameson writes that the educated mind rejects the chic very nearly as his stomach would reject a meal of cheap cake so there are lots and lots of these references to its badness and i think this is really interesting because aesthetically i don't think the novel is like all that terrible Mm. it's not great um, but it's not terrible, not in comparison to lots of the popular romances that I've read. But there's obviously something here in The Sheik that is very provoking, besides it being this very racist rape fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because there are a lot worse novels written at this time. It's not high literary art, but it's quite readable, actually, you know, by the standards of trashy romance novels. (laughs) I would agree with you, yeah. (laughs) Um, And I'd like to turn, I suppose, to examine the character of Diana a bit more closely and how she's presented in the novel. Uh, When she first appears, she she was the classic flapper type. She has a short haircut. She's very independent. Um, She is, of course, rich, which helps with being independent. And this type of emancipated young woman is just one of many new women um, generations. So there have been earlier new women. Um, But the flapper is the 1920s version of uppity and impatient young women who refuse to accept these traditional roles assigned by the patriarchy. And to be honest, she's precisely the sort of heroine that conservatives, especially Irish censors, would dislike. In fact, they'd hate her, really. How do you think Diana as a new woman is treated in the novel? Is she praised or punished for that independent spirit? I think at the novel's outset, Diana is almost a caricature of this new woman figure. Uh, Her boyishness, both in terms of her temperament and her appearance is frequently referred to um, and it's made clear that above anything else she values her independence so before she meets the sheik she has zero interest in men um, and she's physically repulsed by the idea of marriage um, Hull writes in the novel uh, and I quote here the idea of marriage even in its highest form based on mutual consideration and mutual forbearance was repugnant to her she thought of it with a shiver of absolute repulsion. So in her early days in the sheik's camp, before she realises this undying love for him, she wears her very masculine riding clothes to give her courage. But this androgyny doesn't go very deep. The cross-dressing, though, is very interesting in respect to both the novel and also to Rudolph Valentino's portrayal as the Sheik in the Melford film adaptation, where he's this rather effeminate, lipsticked figure. At the same time, he's also ultra masculine. Uh, mm. So that's really interesting in light of the uh, post First World War context with this generation of wounded, uh, damaged young men. Um, so this kind of figure of virile masculinity. Um, but also a rather effeminate figure. I'm very interested in what you said earlier about um, 
how the aesthetics might reflect kind of general moral degeneration that you know the 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 critique of the chic at the time is not the sex but that it's somehow revolting in in wider senses and i suppose in the 1920s in england there's a rise in the power of purity organizations such as the national vigilance association i mean ireland isn't the only one that's kind of going through a moment of censoriousness it just happens to bear legislative fruition in one country and not in others and there's a conservative a politician called william johnson hicks and he's driving a lot of this from within the government and people might remember him from the well of loneliness episode because he played a big part in getting that book banned and I'm struck, I suppose, by the huge popularity of a novel like The Sheik, which is full of sex, while there's a moral backlash against apparently permissive sexual behaviour. Do you think this novel and others like it played a role in those debates about sex and censorship? Yeah, in some ways, I think the novel functioned as a scapegoat for the kind of perceived moral ills of society. And I really like Laura Frost's account of the regard that Hull was held in by her more literary, highbrow, modernist counterparts. Um, and Frost writes, and I quote here, that Hull was not just a bad writer and the chic, not merely a bad novel, but a chief representative of cultural degeneracy. And um, but to the hordes of presumably female readers, the chic must have been thrilling and also, as we've talked about, appalling in equal measure in light of its sexual content. Um, it did put depictions of female sexuality in easy reach of a large number of women. Um, and surely some of this must have seeped through into such debates uh, on sex. Because Diana does sort of embrace the sexual side of her nature, which... Uh, initially, she's set up as cold and remote and definitely not interested in men. And then, you know, she's liberated mm. into a, you know, sexually expressive person by, by okay, kidnap and rape, which obviously isn't great, but um, it's one way of phrasing that particular journey. Yeah, and that's really interesting. And that's one thing that scholarship on, on the chic frequently notes is this uh, representation of a female sexuality that wasn't very common in literature at the time. Um, and as you say, for Diana, the chic awakens in her this previously dormant sexual appetite, something that she thought was lacking in her essential nature. Um, so the chic ultimately inspires in her an all-consuming, um, and here I quote from the novel, burning and throbbing passion. Um, so going back to the previous question about um, how Diana uh, is in part uh, a representative of the new woman, uh, the flapper of the time, um, it's kind of difficult to reconcile this particular Diana the one that's been broken by the chic with the new woman. Um, and in some respects, she becomes almost an antith antithesis of this emancipated figure. And here I think the novel's actually exceptionally conservative, um, that Diana finds previously unimaginable happiness in this very conventional heterosexual union with her chic, who turns out um, not even to be an Arab. <laughs> Which is very important. I think it would have been deeply transgressive if, if yeah. he'd been left <laughs> properly foreign. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I can see that it has so much in it that many audiences and many 
uh, readings are possible. And that must really have been at the heart of its popularity as well as I mean, it's a it's a thriller, ultimately. Yeah, there's a lot of action going on in there, isn't there as well? Yeah, (laughs) there is a lot of horse chasing and, you know, violence and its suggestion. Yeah, there's a lot going on. Yeah. (laughs) To conclude, we will do censorship bingo, because although it wasn't banned, it is interesting to see, you know, just how it compares to banned books and what what score it might get on the bingo card. I'm guessing it won't be very rude because so much is skirting around. I don't have a bingo square for throb, for example. (laughs) (laughs) But we begin, as usual, with breasts because there are so many texts. Was there a reference? I mean, I don't really remember a lot of references to her physicality apart from her clothes. There are definitely some bare breasts mentioned there's a bit of breast heaving mentioned um (laughs) of course there is yeah (laughs) great so we can take that one i mean breasts is a fairly reliable one it appears in nearly every book uh bestiality no definitely not (laughs) no i don't think so not uh, in the sexual sense of the word anyway (laughs) sex work um i don't remember was there well we have harems and we have the sheik's previous lovers women who were his sexual slaves so not quite but not quite i i was thinking that would be more the orgies one you mm, know where it's yes, kind of yes. debauchery you know let's put that under orgies let's put it under mm. orgies right racism well obviously vast quantities lots of it (laughs) lots of it but as you say it turns out that he's not foreign so it's all happy in the end uh drugs yes she is drugged isn't she or does she just faint away oh yes she is isn't she when she's um doubly kidnapped (laughs) yes 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 Mm. great we get some drugs in there politics i don't think so There is a lot of colonial, but not necessarily politics, politics, I suppose. (laughs) (laughs) Right. No politics then. Um, Swearing. No, everyone's very polite. No, we we are told that the sheik swears and curses, um, but I don't think we can actually hear it. Yeah, I yeah, you know, he's very he's very gentlemanly throughout in spite of being a kidnapping rapist. So, no, I don't think we can tick that one infidelity no because he's not married and she's not married no um i don't think we can tick that one and crime well yes the kidnapping (laughs) the rape yeah there's lots of um kidnapping and the next one is genitalia no definitely not explicit enough for that abortion no no orgies well yes i think general harem weird debauchery sex thing yeah yeah um sexual assault well yes obviously yes the book's premised on it so yes we have to have that one extramarital pregnancy well no there was no pregnancy miraculously no no diana imagines what would have happened if she was pregnant with his child but that doesn't happen great can't take that very low score so far masturbation no no uh, no sex toys either. No. <laughs> um, the next one is interesting. Feminism. I suppose you couldn't debate that as to the sort of uh, levels of expression granted Diana the character. Yeah, I think that one's very much debatable. Um, but I think 
as a whole, the text is not feminist. Um, even if femi- uh, if uh, Diana might have started off as a uh, feminist uh, figure, I think ultimately she is punished for her independence and so ultimately this is a very conservative story i think so i i don't think we can tick feminism there Mm, i don't think so divorce no nobody is divorced because nearly nobody's married anyway and then contraception no definitely not no no (laughs) it probably would have been banned even in england if it had too much contraception in it menstruation no no blasphemy no, actually, in spite of the fact that he's, you know, supposed to be another religion, there isn't really a lot about that aspect of the plot. No, there's a, a, quite a lot of taking the Lord's name in vain in English and French. Um, but yeah, not not really. Oral sex. Um, well, <laughs> that reference to the knees, of course, yeah. does, <laughs> does beg a question. But I think we could uh, only file that under suggestion. Then the next one, graphic violence. Well, it's not graphic, but it, you know, there is so much implicit violence, primarily the way that Diana reflects on the aftermath. You get a real sense of violence, I think. Yeah, it's a violent novel. Yeah. Yeah, I think it it does permeate it, even though there is no descriptions of... Mm, between the lines, yeah. Yeah, very much so. Much like the sex. Mm. And finally, queer content. We've got the cross-dressing element. Yes, I think so. That's very strong at the beginning, that she's a boy in some way. Yes. Yeah, so I think we can tick that one. I think so, yeah. I I think that's definitely worth a a tick. So we have one, two, seven. Oh, no, eight. Eight. I mean, that's really quite high. Yeah, that sounds like a lot. (laughs) That is a lot. A lot of the books that are banned in the 20s and 30s, they're about five. (laughs) Wow, this is really fascinating. (laughs) So, you know, it does contain the sort of content that they were alert to. Yeah. Um, And they did ban old books, even though this is, you know, 10 years before the act. That's no reason not to ban it. They had no problem with banning older books. So it's just odd that it was never banned. Very strange. Isn't it? Really peculiar. But that was just wonderful. I really enjoyed that. It was such an interesting insight into uh, a book that was so wildly popular and that was denigrated at the time, but contains all sorts of uh, undercurrents that could be very disturbing. Yes, thank you so much. Really fun. (laughs) Thank you. Well, I'm still baffled The Sheik wasn't banned. Maybe because, at its heart, it's a very conservative story. Frigid, boyish woman discovers true love in the arms of a manly man. In a review for an Irish newspaper in 1919, the sheik was listed under thrillers. The reviewer was able to ignore the sexual violence, or at least compartmentalise it as part of an adventure story set in exotic places. But it still doesn't make sense. The blacklist is stuffed with novels where sex is barely referenced, but this rape fantasy wasn't banned. Contemporary readers did enjoy the throbbing passion and the crushed lips, but the arbiters of filth, the Irish censors, completely ignored it. I think a glaring error like this tells us how random censorship is, even when it's very strict. Censors try manfully to define indecency, but they still miss it. There's something cheering about that. 
It shows that chaos, the very aspect of humanity that appalled them, is part of their system too. The next episode is the very last one in season six, when I conclude my deep dive into Edna O'Brien's The Country Girls trilogy. The final book is called Girls in Their Married Bliss, a title I adored once I read the book. It's my favourite O'Brien book so far. I think it's wonderfully rude. Till then, keep your hands clean and your minds filthy. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.